0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, Price and Coverage Match Limited by State Law. WNYC Studios is brought to you by
1: ZBiotics. Seize the day after a night of drinks with ZBiotics Pre Alcohol Probiotic Drink. ZBiotics was invented by PhD scientists to break down the byproduct of alcohol, which is most responsible for making you feel crummy the next day. Drink ZBiotics before your first drink, drink responsibly, and you'll wake up refreshed and ready to take on the day.
3: Hello podcast listeners. Before we begin this episode, uh, I want to let you know that this story, uh one of the stories in this episode includes conversation about sexual assault and suicide. Just to warn you.
4: Uh, wait,
5: you're listening <laughs> Okay. All right. Okay.
6: All right. <clears throat> you are listening, listening to Radio Lab.
7: Radio Lab from
5: <laughs> WNYC.
7: See? See?
6: Yeah.
7: <laughs> Some people like roses and others tulips. Uh, I've always liked snakes.
3: This is Radio Lab. I'm Jad of Umrad. And I'm Robert Crowley. And our show today is about deception, and we thought, where better to start than with snakes? Snakes. Oh.
7: This is where you keep all your snakes? Well, it keeps so some of them here. We have a variety of some lizards we're working with.
3: This is Gordon Burkhardt. He works at the University of Tennessee. I paid him a visit recently. And I have several rooms here where we keep a variety of different
7: reptiles.
3: Uh, and he's got this one little snake that he likes to show off. Small guy, about the size of a pencil. Mm-hmm. Called a hognose snake.
7: These are the hognose snakes. So you can see this guy is already starting to go into
3: the display. Gordon pops the top off the cage and then does something interesting.
7: But what I'll do is take...
3: He puts a chicken puppet.
7: Sort of a puppet of a chicken.
3: On his left hand. Right. And then with this puppet, he begins to kind of attack the snake or mock attack. Simulate. Like peck near it.
7: A bird that might be attacking it.
3: What happens next is kind of shocking.
7: And you can see now how it's hiding its head a little bit. It's coiling its tail.
3: First, the snake flips over on its back.
7: Oh, there, okay, there it goes upside
3: down. Then, it vomits blood. Blood will even come out of the mouth. Then, it poos itself. Oh. And
7: now you notice it's starting to defecate a little bit. It's writhing.
3: And then it gets really, really...
7: And it'll finally stop... Still. In fact, it'll stop breathing. And it's all
3: a bluff. All a show. Wow. I was like, wait, that, is, that wow. is no bluff. Can I touch him? Sure. But as soon as we took a few steps back from the cage, the snake pops its head up, goes Whoop. On flattens itself. Oh, it's, it's and to if you come now. close... And there it was alive again. <laughs> yeah.
7: And then it'll start to breathe and gaze around. It was lying, basically.
8: That's pretty good. Thank you very much. Although, you know, as the world turns, it was kind of an ordinary lie, really. What? It was. Sure. Yeah.
3: When was the last time you pooed yourself
8: for a lie? Well, I could lie to you so beautifully, you would be on your back, tongue out. No way, because I would catch I'm you. That... No, you wouldn't
3: catch Yeah, it would
8: no you would not I would totally catch you I'm so sorry to tell you this that's not happening I would catch you no if it were me no you wouldn't so that's our hour people who
3: lie and the people who catch them not to get things started in earnest let us go to every New Yorker's favorite spot
4: I love that we're at the airport (laughs)
3: John F. Kennedy Airport of course it's a little place I like to go to get away from it all I ended up there with our producer, Alan Horn. We hadn't actually meant to come, but the guy that we had been interviewing.
9: In order for a lie to be portrayed by demeanor, there has to be a high emotional... Right
3: in the middle of the interview, he had gotten a call. Hello, hello. Said he had to run. Oh, that's my ride. We were like, crap, we have more questions, what are we gonna do? So we decided to jump in the car with him, and there we were. In the relaxing presence, men with big guns.
9: Well, yes, there's these guys who look like they're in combat uniform for Iraq and they have automatic weapons.
3: In any case, this is Paul Ekman. Uh, Ekman, E-K-M-A-N. He's a uh, security expert. That's what he would be called nowadays. And speaking of security, the reason he's here today at JFK Airport is to talk with JetBlue security, teach them a few things about how they might do their jobs better.
9: Okay. But... No reporter in a building. That's all. How about over in a restaurant? Not a JetBlue property.
3: Security kicks us out.
9: We are leaving their terminal.
3: And the only place it seems we're allowed to stand we'll right here. is on the concrete right medium here? between right two here. lanes of traffic where Ekman finally pulls out the thing he'd been hoping to show the folks at JetBlue. So, so here we have your My little, your very stylish little laptop, Yeah, just starting up. It's a simple computer program that he promises <laughs> yeah, in about 40 good. minutes will teach you to
9: peer into a person's soul. So we're gonna start. Click start. Alright. And click on the start button.
3: Okay. So I'm stepping forward to the computer here. It's loading images, please up wait. The
9: back. Waiting for the pitch.
3: <laughs> okay. Whoa! I need to see that one again. That was so fast. Whoa. What is that? I will promise I'll tell you, but let me just keep going with this, all right? Okay. To explain, Paul Ekman studies faces, the human face. He's probably studied the face more than anyone.
9: Up until my work that was published in 78, we didn't really know how many expressions a face could make, and there was nothing like a musical notation for the face.
3: So about 30 years ago, he began by examining his own face very closely to see how many muscles are in there. There are roughly 50. Then he spent the next couple decades trying to figure out how many ways those muscles can combine to form a facial expression. And
9: I developed something called the facial action coding system, basically a muscular scoring system that you can apply to photographs, film, mm-hmm. or real-life behavior. You just did a 1-2 a for me.
3: I, you're, you're numbering my facial
9: expression? Uh, the 1-2 is the most common thing in the world. Just raising your eyebrows up is 1-2. 5 is just raising the upper eyelid. Seven is tensing the lower island.
3: All in all, the human face is capable of 3,000 different expressions. That's what he thinks. And as we sat in his publisher's office in midtown Manhattan, this is about an hour before the airport incident. an example? Yeah, he demonstrated a few.
9: Okay, if you fabricate anger, it's very unlikely you'll put in what we call the anger-reliable muscle, which most people can't voluntarily move.
3: The anger-reliable muscle? Want to see what it is? Yeah, I want to see where it is.
9: You're tensing I'm, your... I'm tensing the red margin of my lips. Okay. Oh, and you just
3: look, you look fierce when you do that, instantly. So if you want to know someone's mad, look at their lips. Conversely, if you want to know they're happy, like genuinely happy and they're not just faking it, he says,
9: look at their eyelids. The skin in between your eyebrows and your upper eyelid, in a genuine, spontaneous, enjoyment smile, that skin moves slightly down. Hard to ah. detect but visible if you know what to
3: look for. You just did it when you said that. Anyways, the reason that we are talking about him here in our on lying is because with all the attention that's being paid these days to finding lies by using fancy brain scanners, Ackman is kind of on a crusade to remind us that you don't have to do that. You don't have to look in the brain because the brain is actually directly connected to the face
9: in ways that we can't control. All of these muscles are activated involuntarily when an emotion occurs without your choice.
3: Are there things happening on my face, on her face, on any face... That
9: you don't that, even know about. ...that we about. don't even
3: know And I'm don't seeing know about. them.
9: My God, the naked face. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Which brings me to my new favorite word. Leakage. Leakage? Leakage. Yes, it is a word you will hear again and again when you talk to anyone in the field of lie-catching. Take, for example, Barry McManus. Barry L. McManus, MCMA in US. He's a longtime CIA interrogator. Physiological Leakage could be anywhere from sweat gland activity,
8: when someone knows that they're misleading you and they break out in the sweat. That's because of the autonomic
3: nervous system that you have no control over. Basically, telling the truth is easy. That is the crux of it. According to Steve Silberman, a reporter for Wired magazine.
9: The truth is kind of sitting there in your brain. Your brain knows it, you say it, no problem. But your brain has to work harder to generate the lie.
8: There is an effort And with that, there's always leakage. Even in an instantaneous moment. Sometimes you even hear it, where a person's breathing pattern will change,
3: or the size that people do. At what particular time did they do it? If you're not trained to look at it, most people ignore it. But if you've been trained and you know what to look for, according to Barry McManus, it, it will strike you right in the face. Speaking of faces,
9: we're usually talking about um, the
3: particular brand of facial leakage that Paul Ekman specializes in. Has yeah, to do with something that he
9: calls we call a microfacial expression—a very fast facial expression, about twenty-fifth of a second.
3: Okay, just to, just as an example, let's just let let's just imagine, Robert, that you're smiling. Okay. Yeah. But on the inside. As those of us who know you can attest, maybe you've got some rage. A little? A little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. But on the outside, you're smiling. Now, a micro-expression is when, for the tiniest, tiniest moment, a little bit of that inner rage slips out onto your face. And these are just little, like, just fleeting expressions they're, they're on your face? They're usually
9: pretty extreme, but they're very fast. It happens constantly, he says, but so fast that most of us don't see it at all. Most of us don't. And when I say most, I mean about 95% of us miss them. But once you learn it, you don't miss them. Once you don't miss them... Oop, there's one. According to Ekman, you
3: wake up to the startling possibility that... flies are everywhere. <laughs> It's enough to make a man
9: obsessed. When my daughter was born 27 years ago, I decided that I would take on as a life test to see whether I could lead my life without lying.
3: To see whether you could lead your life without lying? Yeah. That sounds impossible.
9: It's very tough, but I'm always looking to see whether there's a way I can solve the problem. Makes it more interesting. I mean, just telling a lie is really dull.
3: But you could argue that telling a lie is, it's just what we do.
9: No, we don't just do that. Most of the time, we lie out of laziness or t- timidity. I got put in a terrible situation by a friend who had invited me to a dinner party, and the company was dull, and the food was worse. I sure didn't want to go again. So he invites me again about two months later. And I say, I'm sorry, I can't make it. I'm being polite. It's not true. I could have made it. And he said, oh, but we enjoyed having you so much. Tell me a date when you could make it. Ooh. Now, how am I going to get out of that in a polite way? Yeah, how do you stay true to your principles there? I'm prepared. I'm prepared. So I said to him, well, the truth of the matter is that at this point in my life, I'm very busy, and there are friends I've had for decades that I don't get enough time to see, and I really can't pursue new friendships. But
3: that sort of shows it takes a lot of work not to lie. And for
9: why? For what purpose? one, you feel like a Zen hero. Oh, God, did it again. I can stay truthful. I didn't take the easy path.
3: When Pollockman began to walk the path of the honest man, he was faced with a question that has plagued other honest men for centuries, which is, what exactly is a lie? Like, how do you define it exactly? Like, I mean, there are different kinds, clearly, and some are definitely more okay than others. Where do you draw the line? Eventually... He settled on two criteria.
9: A lie is a deliberate choice a deliberate choice. To mislead a target without any notification. So according to that definition, an actor is not a liar, although a good actor, I saw a good actor last night in a play, and I was for a time misled. I even had <laughs> I even had tears because he had misled me. But, but I was notified. Right, so, so now, criteria uh, number two so, is canceled so that's, out. So it's not a lie, it's deception. In a
3: similar way, bluffing at poker, it's not lying, because bluffing is in the rules, it's understood, that's part of the game, so therefore you are, quote, notified.
9: But it depends, maybe the rules of With my wife, we're entering our 28th year, my wife taught me that what I'm supposed to say, when she comes in with a new dress, I'm not supposed to say, gee, that's not a flattering cut or the color is wrong, or that's for someone 20 years younger, all of which might be true. Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to say smashing. So, okay, I've agreed to those rules, and the rules I've agreed to is that I will not tell her the truth. And since we've agreed about that, I'm not lying. So is this like the
3: poker game where you're allowed to bluff? I'm required to. You're giving yourself a loophole, though.
9: No, 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 because she's notified. She knows she can't count on me.
3: (laughs) That's sounds like very lawyerly to me. Just then, his phone rings.
9: Hello? Hello, hello? Oh, that's my ride. You wanna ride out to JFK with me?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
3: All right, you know how this goes. We pile in the car, go to the airport, get kicked out. No
1: reporter in a building.
3: So there we were on the medium, center strip, at JFK, coldish winter day. And Paul Ekman finally pulled the thing out of his bag, this new technology that he thinks was going to help our chances at catching liars at the airport. Basically, it is a computer game. It's loading images. Please wait. You're shown a face on a screen. The face is fixed in an expression, like a smile, let's say. And then,
9: waiting for the pitch. <laughs>
3: OK. Pow. Another different expression flashes for a moment. Whoa, that was so fast, so fast! Oh, wow. And then on the screen, you're asked, "What was that micro expression?" What was it? A uh, surprise. You okay. got it right. Look at <laughs> I that. I was right. Yay.
9: Let's try another. Are you ready?
3: Okay.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: I need to see
9: that one again.
3: No, no wait. No, actually, no, no, no. no. no, no. no, no. Angry, he angry. Angry.
9: All right, let's go and try anger. Woo. Oh, I was right. You are two in a oh, row. Wow. Wow started three out pretty strong. Okay, here That's we nice. go. How are you going to get three in a row? But then,
3: it was all downhill. <laughs> oh, I didn't even begin to catch that. Contempt? Wrong. Okay. In the end, after let's several minutes of this, yeah, I ended up getting more Disgusting. wrong than right, wrong. which put my micro-expression identifying powers at less than time? chance. No, no, I could have time. flipped a coin, and
8: I would have done better. But But what if you were good at it? What if you were able to identify the particular
3: expressions what would you know well i would i would know i guess all i'd really know is that they were concealing something some emotion that's it and that's it yeah and in oh. fact on the way over in the car ekman said at point blank if you are looking for some sure fire dead giveaway sign of lying it's just not there
9: cuz we don't have we don't have a pinocchio's nose oh, oh look my nose we don't have Something that only occurs when people are lying.
3: Really, so there is not, say, muscle number A19, that if it twitches in a certain way, is a bulletproof hallmark of lying?
9: Nope, it doesn't exist. That's Pinocchio's nose.
3: Is there something close to it, on our faces?
9: No, there are signs of unusual cognitive load or emotional load, and that can occur for a lot of reasons. And you got to find out the reason.
3: So you're never going to be able to have an idiot behind the machine, in other words? Nope. Radiolab will return in a moment.
6: Hi, this is Vanessa and Crystal from
0: Pittsburgh. Radiolab is supported in part by the National Science Foundation and by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science and technology in the modern world.
6: More information about Sloan at www.sloan.org. Thanks.
0: Radio Lab is supported by Z-Biotics. If you've been looking for some help waking up refreshed after a fun night out, Z-Biotics Pre-Alcohol Probiotic is here to help. Z-Biotics is a genetically engineered probiotic invented by scientists to help tackle rough mornings after drinking. This probiotic is the first drink of the night for a better tomorrow as it works to break down the byproduct of alcohol, which is responsible for rough mornings after. Go to zbiotics.com Radiolab to get 15% off your first order when you use Radiolab at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with a 100% money-back guarantee. If you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. That's zbiotics.com Radiolab and use the code Radiolab at checkout for 15% off. Radiolab is supported by Betterment. Let's talk about hustle culture. You know, the whole rise and grind, go big or go home thing. It's a lifestyle that may not be for you, but one that your money can handle thanks to Betterment. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. How? Their automated technology optimizes your investments again and again. With Betterment, your money is taking ice baths at 5 a.m. while you get your well-deserved rest. Your money downs protein smoothies and automatically reinvests your dividends. All before you head out the door. Your money is a workaholic, but you don't have to be, because you've got Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Each election
10: season, political memoirs abound, doorstops that sometimes divulge more than intended.
8: No matter how diligently they present themselves in the most electable light, they always reveal themselves: their insecurities, their fears, their ambitions.
10: How to read a Politico on this week's On the Media from WNYC. Find On the Media wherever you get your podcasts.
3: This is Radio Lab. I'm Jad Abumran. and I'm Robert Krulwich. Today, our topic is liars and the people who try and catch them, and we've got a tale for you now from our own Ellen Horn. A story that she heard from a friend of hers. Robert Growich. No. Uh, so Jude, your friend Jude? Yep. What, uh, t- describe him real quick for us.
1: Jude is a uh, sweet guy. We used to work together. He He's kind of a slight fellow with auburn hair, and he's just a really thoughtful, trustworthy guy.
3: How do you know? What do you mean? How do you know that he's trustworthy?
1: Well, you just know. I don't know.
3: Hmm. Okay. Tell me about the story that Jude told you.
1: Well, this is a story about someone that he dated and someone who changed him. It's a girl? It's a girl. And
3: and how did he meet her?
1: He met her at a barbecue.
3: A friend's party.
5: And incidentally, it was my birthday.
1: Right. He was at this party. It was his birthday. He meets this girl. Sandy
5: blonde hair, uh, blue eyes. And after the party, a couple days later, he gets a phone call from his friend saying, Do you remember Hope, who was at, at the party on Sunday? She was asking after you. Okay, is it okay if I give her your phone number and tell her how to get in touch with you?
0: Were you flattered?
5: Of course. So, she calls.
1: He asked her out, and they went out on a date.
5: I remember thinking to myself, wow, this girl is, she's kind of electric. Vibrant. We're saying yes a lot to each other. We're laughing a lot. Yeah, she just had a wonderful smile. She would look you right in the eye. I mean, she just had a, a way of connecting right through to back behind your own eyes and you just felt like you were dealing with something.
1: So they went out again. And then they went out again and pretty soon they're spending all of their time together.
11: And then what happened?
1: Well... I don't remember when it it turned. At some point she started to have a lot of problems.
5: Small crises started to come up.
1: A whole series of things.
5: They were... Knee
1: problems, insurance problems.
5: You know, I've got a situation where I need to move out of the place where I'm currently living and it's because my roommate's you know, crazy
1: he felt himself sort of pulling back yes, yes, until happens. one evening he gets a call from Hope, and she's totally panicked.
5: She said, "You have to come over, we have something we really need to talk about, and at this point I have no idea what it is now at <laughs> this time, but uh, she said, "Hey, I'm pregnant. I think I'm
3: pregnant. Wow, what did you do?
1: Well, he basically stood up and did the right thing
5: there really was a part of me that was thinking well here's the test of a person he was going to stand by her and support
1: her through the pregnancy and he said okay let's go to the doctor together
5: i would say where when i want to be there and she would say three o'clock at the doctor's office then i would say okay and i would go be there early you know 245 and uh she would not be there and 315 would roll around and 330 would roll around there I am sitting sort of alone, and the perceptionist would sort of continue, continue you know, can I help you? She would say, oh, well, that, that appointment was at 1 o'clock, or I would notice on the sign-in sheet that she had actually signed in, and I could see the handwriting. It was Indeed, it was Hope's, and um, she had signed in two hours earlier.
1: So then did you confront Hope about giving you the wrong appointment times?
5: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And as this continued, I would say, repeat that for me. Three. Okay, so 3 o'clock... I mean, these are moments in crystal clarity of life. You're not losing track of stuff.
1: Then, he gets a call from a woman named Leslie. I met Hope off Craigslist, actually. I put out an ad for a roommate. And she moved in with no furniture. She showed up with just all of her stuff in trash bags. And then she disappeared. Leaving the bags behind. So it was right around that point where her check bounced. And I was like, oh, no. And so through mutual friends, she tracked down Jude I was kind of like okay well she has this boyfriend she called him called him and sort of wondered like is he in on this Jude had no idea what she's talking about no he didn't even know she had a roommate named Leslie
5: I mean who the hell was who you know who are you you owe me money
1: I I don't and she you know it was all very confusing not knowing what else to do Leslie decides to go into Hope's room and start looking through her stuff and I just thought you know I'm just gonna go through this see what's in here and that's when I found those notebooks spiral bound notebooks and inside literally pages upon pages of different names with different socials next to them credit card numbers, mother's maiden name birth date, page after page of that kind of information
3: what exactly was this?
1: these are like crib notes for a con woman that's when I called Jude and I said get over here
3: what did Jude do
1: at this point? well Jude knew he had to do something
3: And I finally
5: got up the courage to confront Hope and say, "This is over." My own responsibility here, notwithstanding, to the um,
3: you know the pregnancies. Well, and what about Leslie at this point? Was she
1: well? Leslie wondered how many of those people in that notebook Hope had met through Craigslist, which is where Leslie met her. So yeah. she went back to Craigslist and started posting warnings many times a day. Think single white female meets Pacific Heights meets the Grifters. You need a late 20-something gap clothed five foot 3 blue-eyed blonde. Run away, run away. In fact, warn your hairdresser. That's She's awesome. posting warning after warning. If you have any information about this person or simply want some empathy, please email at conbyhope at yahoo.com. And Craig took them all down.
3: As in Craig from Craigslist, Craig? Yeah. Craig Newmark, founder of
1: Craigslist. He thought that they were inappropriate. Yeah. That they were unfair. You want
9: to do the right thing, but everyone has rights. She
1: would post, Nope, the drama is not over. He would take it down. She would post. The fact of the matter is that hope is out there somewhere. He would take it down. But within a few days, in those moments where Craig was in the bathroom, away from his desk, people responded. I was starting
9: to get multiple reports that she ripped people off.
1: Every different kind of person from all over the place: yoga instructors, landlords, car mechanics, banks, flower shop owners, spas, a veterinarian, car rental agency, check cashing place, fifty dollar, about five hundred dollars, one thousand.
9: Approximately $10,000.
1: And everybody with the same story.
9: She is one good actor.
1: Her MO seems to be to move in with tons of stuff, sans furniture, pass a check out of a closed account, then bolt when it comes back. Over the course of several years, there were postings on Craigslist, and there were people who were trying to find and stop hope. She got kind of a celebrity following. By the way, we used to get emails like every day from people who were just like, is there any news? Dude, I love seeing those posts. Can you tell us anything? I'm like, no, she's in hiding. Sorry. Who was this woman? Um, Terry, can I get you to introduce yourself? Just say who you are and what
2: you do. My name is Terry Alario. I'm a special agent with the Louisiana Department of Justice.
3: Louisiana? How'd we get to Louisiana?
1: Well, after a few years, hope resurfaced in New Orleans.
2: We had a call-in complaint from a lady down in the New Orleans area. Uh, Her credit card had been used Someone had tried to purchase Dell computers, and it just started from there. Every time we talked to one victim, it led to one or two other victims. Hope has uh, almost like a cult following. You know, her M.O. was that she knew him. She got to know him really well. I've talked to a lot of victims, and they just don't trust people anymore. A lot of these people did some good, human, open-heart things with her and said, this poor girl, I've got to help her out and they're really let down, and they just don't trust people anymore. And it's sad. You know, not only do you have to worry about clearing up your credit and getting your money back from your banks, you know, you've got to deal with with people on this earth now that you you don't know, you know, who you're standing next to.
1: Judith had that feeling, and for good reason. One of the houses that Hope had blown through in San Francisco, he had found something that was really upsetting.
5: I had come across a, a letter that she had written to my parents, but never mailed. Just saying some very, very terrible things,
1: which Jude says were totally untrue. In this letter to his parents, Hope wrote
5: that at at one point during uh, the pregnancy, she was having complications, and the the main symptom was like severe vaginal bleeding, and that this that she was on somebody's living room floor, either mine or hers, in this terrible condition, and that. Um, that I had that I just left totally abandoning the situation and my responsibilities. Just a graphic and ugly depiction of an awful scene.
1: Jude was traumatized. The whole experience he compared to an earthquake. Have you ever been in an earthquake? No, never. Well, one of the things that happens is that there's these aftershocks after the uh-huh. earthquake. And so for a little while after the earthquake, you're not sure that when you put your foot down, the ground is still going to be in the same place as it was a minute ago.
5: There were days, I can tell you, there were days when it was significant to hear anybody say anything of any consequence that was just true. Mm -hmm. You know, to say, I have a carton of milk in my refrigerator that expires on September 17th, and that was true. (laughs) <laughs> that was, it didn't say September 19th or September 15th. It said September
2: 17th. I've had people crying on the phone talking to me about this situation and they were victims six, seven years ago. People are embarrassed. They're embarrassed and then they become mad. You know, and that's when they become detectives.
1: <laughs> Make a lousy private detective. Where are you now? In front of Hope's mother's house in a bad neighborhood in New Orleans around midnight.
3: What's her name by the way? Her mom?
1: Oh, Marsha Ballantyne.
3: And why are you
1: there, exactly? I had kind of
3: gotten a little obsessed with her. You'd gotten obsessed?
1: Yeah. I can't see any house number 623. Why? I have no idea. (laughs) There's like this heavy tightness in my chest. I'm so nervous. There was something about imagining how she was doing all this. I'm so nervous. It was like really fun to imagine. And maybe that's what happened to Leslie, too, that, like, once I started looking, I was able to find a lot of victims, a lot of information, and I wanted to meet her. Who you looking for? Do you know Marsha Ballantyne? Who? Marsha Ballantyne.
9: I ain't not ever seen you around
1: there. Yeah, I'm not from around here.
9: you stand on the front looking like that, boy, you be having people spooked around there.
1: I'll come back later. Okay, next day.
3: All right, wait, hold up. What did you know about Hope at this point?
1: Well, I knew that she had had a a daughter. Really? No, is anybody home? (laughs) Jude's? No, not Jude's. (laughs) The timing was all wrong, and I had located the father. Well, I'm standing outside of Hope's mother's house. There's three plastic tricycles piled up against a gate. I don't see anyone inside the house. The next morning, I went out to find a woman named Ruby. Ruby Moon. I live in New Orleans, Louisiana. Ruby owns a coffee shop.
4: I live down the street from Hope's mother. And when Hope came to New Orleans, um, her mother,
1: you know, introduced us. Ruby has a kid who's about the same age as Hope's daughter, and they go to Montessori together. And when Ruby opened her shop a year ago, Hope did carpool duty. She would pick them up,
4: and when we got home about five thirty, six o'clock, we'd all eat dinner together and she would spend the night sometimes.
1: And quite frankly, I enjoyed having Hope around. A few weeks later, the cops show up to arrest Hope. She had printed a check on her home computer with a made-up account number to buy a $12,000 used car.
4: Here you are, you really like this woman, your kids love her, and you can't believe it. You don't believe it. And I wanted to stand by her. I wanted to help her. You know, and she hadn't screwed me over. She hadn't done anything to me, so maybe she's turning around. Well, then my husband finds that she's taken a credit card off of the shelf that he put away because the credit card was maxed out, and she'd been buying gasoline and paying her phone bills. wasn't much. It was like $250. It really wasn't much, and my husband was like, Hope, why? Why didn't you just come to us? Here you are, you're living in our house, you're our nanny, you're
1: our friend. We would have been given you the money. And here's where Ruby's situation is so different from the other victims I talked to. She loves Hope's daughter. She can't just walk away. When Hope went to jail for four months, Ruby helped care for her.
4: It's a very, very difficult situation, especially when you're trying to do the right thing.
1: Trying to do the right thing. Ruby hired Hope's mom to work at her coffee shop even though she's kind of been an awful waitress. I
4: mean, she's worked here for three months, and she still forgets how to do things. I mean, I don't know.
1: But here's the thing. The effect of a lie, like the real impact, it isn't just that it makes you question that piece of information that you relied to about. It's that it makes you question everything. What happened next was that I watched Ruby completely unravel Because of something that I said. Do you understand that Hope's father was a was a doctor. Which the detective had told me.
2: Her father was a doctor.
4: My understanding was that he wasn't really a doctor.
1: According to the, to the Attorney General's office, he was.
4: Then Marsh is not a liar
1: too. Because she says he was a con man. She says that Hope's father was a con man. It's funny how a piece of information can take on a life of its own. The ground was shifting under Ruby's feet. So then
4: Marsh is lying. Marcia says he wasn't a doctor. If they say it turned out that he was really a doctor, then Marcia's lying. And how do you mean that? That may not be
1: information that means anything at all, you know?
4: And now you tell me that he really was a doctor.
1: She began making call after call.
4: Hey, baby, it's Ruby, the henna lady. Can you give me some information? She
1: phoned anyone she knew with a connection to Hope.
4: Can I ask you a question and you just say yes or no? Hi, Scott. This is Ruby. I live in New Orleans. Um, you don't know me. I heard some disturbing news that I would like to be very, very very important that you call me back. My number number is 22. 22, Please call me back. Hey, I'm freaking out. It's her talking to her husband. Well, I'm sitting here talking to the reporter, and, and there's things that Marcia's told me aren't true that Hope's dad wasn't really a doctor, and he was.
1: I still really don't understand why that one detail shook Ruby so much. I guess betrayal makes you doubt yourself. But it explains something that Jude had told me, that he has no new friends, literally, that everyone he feels close to is someone that he met before he met Hope, as if he never trusted his judgment about people again, but that he had no choice but to rely on it from before. I mean, how could you live in the world without trusting? What sort of world would that be? So, um, I am in front of the Jefferson Parish courthouse. Hope has a trial this morning. It's 8.40. I've been here since 8 this morning, and I haven't as yet seen Hope. I have been trying to reach her for a week and a half, left her phone messages, mailed her a letter, left her a note at the door, nothing. I'm trying to feel like she's not coming. Okay. Inside the courtroom, I am watching the door at every person who walks in, wondering, is it her, is it her? And then she walks in. She walked in. And she's... Had you
3: ever seen her before this moment? I had seen pictures of her. What did she look like?
1: What did she look like? Well, strawberry blonde hair, blue pinstriped suit, pointy-toed high heels. She sort of looks like an attorney. Mm. Very well put together. And I watch her look around this courtroom at all of the intimidating and scary-looking people in the court. And I see her see me, and she just makes a beeline right for me and walks up to me and says, You're Ellen, aren't you? You've been trying to reach me, and I'm so sorry I haven't been in touch. And she just sits down next to me, and we end up spending the next four hours together. What
3: would you talk about?
1: The weather, mostly. She was very charming. She told me all sorts of things about New Orleans, New Orleans history. And when it comes time for her to stand before the judge and plead guilty... I find myself rooting for her. She gets sentenced to two years in hard labor. But she also gets a couple of days to make arrangements for her daughter. She has to report to prison at 9 a.m. on a Friday morning.
3: Do you ever get her on the record?
1: Well, I couldn't have my equipment in the courtroom. But mm-hmm. while, while we were in court, she agreed to an interview. Okay. But then a few hours before the scheduled interview, she called me and told me she couldn't make it, moved it to the next morning, then the next day and the next. And while I know I can't trust her, I don't know what else to do. I decide to run to the drugstore and buy a tape recorder and bring it to her. So I go to her mom's house and spend a few minutes with the talking. Hey time. there. Huh? At least it's a little bit better weather for your for my today. dress, yeah, totally. It was freezing yesterday. Hey
4: there. This is my mother. Hi, I'm Ellen. Hi Ellen. How are you? I'm cleaning up the gift dog food. Hello Ellen.
11: Hi there. Well, you
1: just called her name. What's her name? Ellen? Ellen. So, um, trying to make it really easy. There's a cassette recorder. It's got batteries. It's got a cassette in it. I tested it out. It works. Okay. And, um...
11: For the batteries? For the bubbles? Yeah, (laughs) you've got
1: to put batteries in your bubble thing, too. I know.
11: And the bubbles? Um...
1: And, I mean, my other thought is, is if you want to just record your thoughts and what, I mean... You know, like, I just want to right. give you some space to say what you want to say, so. Um,
4: okay, and it's all addressed.
1: Got right? posted, so it's all addressed. Just seal it up okay. and, um,
4: okay. yeah.
1: Right. I'm sorry. Like, it's
4: okay. I couldn't give you better, more quality time. But. That
1: was it. That was my only on-the-record interview with her. However, before she went to prison, she did send me that cassette tape. It was a really crummy tape and so we had to use this voice what do do we call that? Noise reduction. We had to use a noise reduction filter to clean it up so you could hear her voice and it it makes her sound kind of ghostly and strange. I have a child who is happy and healthy and bright and beautiful
4: and I don't think she could be all of that if I was this horrible monster that people think that I am.
1: On this tape Hope talks about her daughter a lot.
4: My life is now her.
1: I I wish she said something more satisfying, something that explained why it was that she chose to live this way for so long. But she doesn't. I'm sorry. Hope mailed this tape to me, reported to prison. She was released due to prison overcrowding and during Hurricane Katrina, the state of Louisiana lost her. About a month after the hurricane, I wrote to the attorney general's office and asked if they had any idea where she was. I got a one-word response. No.
3: Radio Labs, Ellen Horn. All right, so let me ask a question to get us to our next, next bit. Mm-hmm. Why, why, why exactly would Hope lie the way she does? I mean, there was a point in the story where, where um, Ruby, one of the characters, said, you know, I would have given her everything she wanted. I would have given her the money, credit cards, whatever. And yet she still did it. So why? Haven't you met people who lie all the time? Like they just, just keep doing it and doing it and doing it. It's like, they, it's like they can't stop.
6: Right. Yeah. Exactly. They just can't help it. They feel this impulse that they cannot control.
3: Yeah, the lie just tumbles out before they can stop it. And that it. is who? Oh, that's Yaling Yan. She's a researcher at the University of Southern California.
6: In the Department of Psychology and Neuroscience. And I'm a new
3: mom. A really new mom. Her baby's about two months old, and she was nice enough to let us barge in on her maternity leave to talk with her. Because when she's not playing with her new baby, she is studying the mind of pathological liars. (laughs) Which, by the way, means when you use that phrase "pathological
8: lying," what, what is it? What is, is there a definition? Yeah, of I just that?
3: I, I just oh. said it a moment ago. It's people who can't stop lying. It's habitual. It's compulsive. Mm. And Yaling's question was: Is there something about their brains, their anatomy, that might explain this compulsion? And she thinks she may have found a clue. In any case. Getting ahead of myself. First thing she had to do was find a group of people who lie a lot. Why? Oh, to study them? You to mean? study
8: them, yeah. How Where do you find sitting pathological liars waiting to be studied?
6: We actually recruit our subject from the, the temporary employment agency.
3: Like a temp agency? Where, you, you know, you would go if you type 60 words a minute kind of place?
6: Yes, exactly, exactly. This
3: is her notion that she's find a bunch of liars at a temp agency? Well, her, That's her, so ridiculous. It's not ridiculous. I mean, her idea was that, that, that liars would be overrepresented at a temp agency.
6: As you can probably imagine, you know, people who need to go to the temp agency are usually people who cannot remain in one job for a very long period of time.
3: That's not true of all people who work at temp agencies. Most of them are just fine. But some of them, she figured, keep ending up at the temp agency because they just have this...
6: Problem with their, you know... Their lifestyle.
3: The truth problem. All right, let's keep going. I want to hear how this comes out. Okay, good. So, Yaling and her crew went to a couple of temp agencies in the L.A. area, interviewed 108 people, asked them all kinds of questions, not just about their employment history, but about their past. You
6: know, their childhood history. About their families. Very personal information. She
3: checked their answers to those questions against their family and friends, against their court records, just to see if she could find people whose stories had you know, inconsistencies, big ones.
8: And in the 108 folks that she queried, she found a pathological liar?
3: 12, actually. 12? 12. Out of 108 samplers? Mm-hmm. Whoa. Are they pathological liars? I don't know. It depends on how you define it. I would hope But so. she found 12 people that she wanted to look at. Further, she said to them, would you be willing to come on a purely voluntary basis into the lab and uh, let me scan your brain. <laughs> <laughs> and just another day at the temp office. So
6: um, basically, we put people in the, the MI scanner, and then we scan their brain.
3: She scanned everyone's brains, all 108 uh, participants, the liars and the non-liars. No one knew which group they were in. Mm-hmm. And she was looking at a particular part of their brains just behind their forehead called... The prefrontal
6: cortex. This is the part of the brain that processes the information
3: is where the real thinking happens.
6: Making decisions and more judgment, for example.
3: Now, if you zoom into that place just behind your forehead, what you'll see are two kinds of brain tissue. You've got gray matter, and then you've got white matter. I've heard of gray matter. Yes, well, we, we think of the brain as being gray, but actually it's two things. It's gray and white. The gray stuff, you can kind of think of it as like the computer processor part. Yeah. It's these little clumps of neurons that process information computer chips. That's the gray. Where is the white... The
6: white matter is like the, the connections between all these comu- computers.
3: The white matter, in other words, is what
8: moves the thoughts around. Gray is where the, the thinking happens, and then white is when you move the thought from here <gasps> to there. Exactly.
6: Yes. They transfer information from one end to the other.
3: Okay, so you've got your gray, you've got your white. What Yaling thought she would see... When she looked into the brains of people who lie a lot...
6: I thought we would see a reduction. Just
3: some piece of it not there.
6: Yeah, they're missing something.
3: Specifically, she thought she would find less gray stuff. Less of the thinking stuff. Why would... Why would... Why? Because that's what she's seen in other um, mental disorders are kind of like this and if you think about it on a really simplistic level, the gray is where you think your thoughts and it's also among other things where you crunch your moral calculations Mm. and liars, she figured, have trouble in this department, so maybe they have less gray. That was her notion. Okay. But when she got the pictures back, what she saw was
6: such a great increase. It's
3: more and not the gray.
6: More white matter.
3: More white stuff. A lot more.
6: Twenty-five percent, like a quarter.
3: So tw- they have twenty-five percent more connections in their head than non-liars. Yes. Before we get to what that means, what were you thinking when you saw this?
6: I was really bubbling. <laughs> I thought this was this was something. 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 Something.
3: Here's her idea so far. You ready? Yes. She thinks that these extra connections play a crucial role in. A kind of in-the-moment storytelling. That's essentially what lying is, coming up with a story on the fly. Let me give you an example, okay? Mm -hmm. You're leaving work, you're walking down the hall, you go in the elevator, and an annoying but nice co-worker corners you.
7: Oh, hey, Sally.
3: Corners you in the elevator.
7: Hey.
3: Asks you out.
11: Um, you know, I've been meaning to ask, you maybe want to go out with me on Friday?
3: So there you are. Questions dangling in the air. Do you
9: want to cool out
3: with me For most of us, right at that moment inside our head and our brains, we're thinking, Crap! Oh, shoot. Oh, say so you're busy, so you're say busy. So you're busy, say you're busy.
8: What are what you, are you doing? busy with? Um, say oh, Thing oh, is up.
3: Don't think, don't think, say, think. Say? think. Say? you're just like reaching out oh, into the I void, say. trying to form a connection with some idea that can help you say. come up don't with some say. excuse.
4: I could say, um, you know, I could oh, say, well,
11: shoot, what should I say?
3: I mean, really, what you need to do at this moment is you have to take a bunch of disparate thoughts on different sides of your brain, like, um, me tonight, teeth, dentist, and connect them all together.
0: I'm having some late night dental work.
3: Like that. Oh, okay. okay. We can all do it, given enough time, but for the pathological liar, she thinks that because they have so many more of these connections to begin with...
0: They get there faster. My mom is visiting that night. I'm meeting a friend for sushi. I'm performing in a circus Friday night book club. Ice hockey practice. Yoga. I have to polish the silver. I've got chemo. Think
6: the more connections... Be? Sorry, beekeeping. The, oh, the faster me. the speed of the processing. You can jump from one idea to another, and you can come up with more um random stories.
3: She thinks that in the brains of most of us, we have trouble making those connections. We
8: have... Would you have trouble if I said to you, like, come on, come and out with me on Friday night, would you not be able to come up with a, a wowser? I would say... Um, yeah, they, um, I have to. I have to count straws. See, uh, thir- Thursday night is straw counting. We always. We have about three hundred and sixteen straws so far, and uh, I'm only. am only doing ones with with, um, with little red circles on them. So that's Thursday night. Sorry. <laughs>
3: <laughs> like, I don't know where this comes. I just it just happened. I, I just. There you yeah. go. See, you've got you've got extra white matter, perhaps. <laughs> so she's saying this is a cause of lying or an effect of lying. Like well, a, she's not sure, and this is a big debate. Hmm. What she can say is that children. As they grow?
6: Yeah, from age 2 to age 10, there is a big jump in their white matter. And that's actually the same age that they develop the skill to lie. Uh,
3: Among other things, but anyway. To close, let me just ask you, given everything we've just talked about, how do you square this
6: Mm.
3: information with being a new mom? I mean, (laughs) um, is this your first kid?
6: Yes, it's my first one.
3: Uh, Boy or girl? A girl. What's her name? Uh, Zoe. Doesn't it make you wonder a little bit about Zoe and what, what's going on inside her head?
6: Oh, yes. I wonder about that. All the times, It's still too early to scan her brain, but (laughs) eventually I will do it.
3: Are you serious?
6: Uh, Yes.
8: (laughs) This is immoral to this. Never, if you're a little baby, have a social psychiatrist as a mother. It's a very, very dangerous thing. Anyway, if she does this, maybe we'll know a little bit more about the nature and nurture
3: of liars. But until then... This is Radiolab. We'll be back in a moment. I'd like to scan your brain. (laughs) (laughs) Science Reporting on Radio Lab is supported in part by Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science.
0: Radio Lab is supported by Zbiotics. If you've been looking for some help, waking up refreshed after a fun night out, Zebiotics pre-alcohol probiotic is here to help z is a genetically engineered probiotic invented by scientists to help tackle rough mornings after drinking. This probiotic is the first drink of the night for a better tomorrow, as it works to break down the byproduct of alcohol, which is responsible for rough mornings after. Go to zbiotics.com Radiolab to get 15% off your first order when you use Radiolab at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with a 100% money-back guarantee. If you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. That's zbiotics.com slash Radiolab and use the code Radiolab at checkout for 15% off. Radiolab is supported by Babbel. Sometimes self-improvement can feel like a pretty overwhelming journey. So what if this year you just got a tiny bit better every day? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing.
8: Hello, I'm Jad. And I'm Robert. And this is Radio Lab. Today on our program, the topic is liars all kinds of liars and now it's time for the liar we haven't yet mentioned uh, a liar which might actually be one very familiar to you jad this <laughs> is the that? uh the self-deceiver hey <laughs> would you, what you mean? Uh, somebody somebody who lies uh, not to others but actually lies to oneself yeah, get thanks, my drift thanks girl
3: which thanks a lot yeah. I mean, anyhow what does that even mean well, to lie to oneself how would you have it's actually...
8: tricky let me give you a classic example let's say that you are madly in love with somebody the who just conjure up whoever you really, you know, I don't know who. Okay. So now you're in love with her, and strange things start to happen. You're at home, the phone rings, you pick it up, hello, and the person on the other end of the line is breathing, and then hangs up. Next, she's suddenly staying late at the office many nights a week. Didn't you still... Jed,
1: honey, um, I've got to work late tonight again. Don't wait up.
8: Then your friends tell you that they see this woman... So,
1: who's this
8: guy? In the company of a man... Does she have a brother, maybe? Repeatedly. Dude, come on. In short, all the signs are there, and yet, despite the evidence, you, Jed, continue to believe, and I mean you truly, truly believe... That the woman
3: is being faithful. Well, maybe in this little scenario that you've created for me, I'm just uh, stupid or <laughs> clueless. <laughs> well, I'm not going to take that away from you. I'm
8: not. But in this case, though, for the sake of argument, let's say you're not clueless. Okay. Let's say you believe both these things in some different compartments of your head. You believe that she is faithful,
10: and at the very same time, you know, you know what's really going on here. What self-deception really is is that you have two contradictory beliefs and you hold them at the same time, and you allow one of them into consciousness, and that you have a motivation for allowing one of them into consciousness.
8: That's Joanna Starrick. She's a psychologist, and we're going to hear more from her later. All
3: right, so how does that work, then? What? What you just said, like to have two contradictory thoughts in your brain at the same time, and yet you're only letting in one. Well, there's an experiment on this subject, kind of an interesting one, and so on. Uh, another experiment?
8: Introduce <laughs> <laughs> introduced you to the two guys who did it. as
11: for. Okay. <laughs> I'm uh, uh, Harold Sackheim. I'm a professor in the departments of psychiatry and radiology at Columbia University.
9: Okay. My name is Ruben Gur. I'm you. a neuropsychologist by training.
8: Harold Sackheim and Ruben Gur are friends. They met back in 1974. or 73. Uh, make that 73. One was a grad student. That would be Harold. One was a professor. That's
9: yeah.
11: Uh, Gur. And
9: we started talking.
11: and make a long story short, we did a couple of experiments. In one of them, we play clips of one's own voice and the voices of other people. Here's the experiment. You, the subject, are sitting
8: in a room, okay? All right. And we're going to give you a big red button, and you can press and it. Press the button. Not <coughs> yet. No, sorry. And out of the speakers in this room, you're going to hear 10 different voices. And everybody was saying the same thing. The words were the same. Come
3: here, come here, come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. Come here.
8: And one come of the voices in this come group, here. one of the many, is you, Jad. You saying, come here. Right there. Here. That was you. Now, when come you hear here. yourself come saying here. come, press the button. Press a button.
11: Me or not me.
8: When you, when
3: you hear your own voice. Come here. So come here. Come one of these is mine? Yep. Come here. 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 Yes. Come here. Come here. Not me. Not me. Not me. Come here. Come here. Come here. Me. Come here. I think. Come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. Not me. Not me. Come. Now, if you listen very closely, it's going to come in three, two, come here. That's it. Not me. Not me. Not me. He missed it. This is hard. You're right. And the people in Harold study, many of them didn't do too well either. So they had some trouble recognizing
8: their own voice. Uh, all right, bring it home, Robert. What's the point of this? But here's what I didn't tell you. When they did this experiment in real life, the real subjects, in addition to having the little pusher button thing that we gave you, yeah. they also had diodes all over their body, measuring... We recorded their physiology. Perspiration. Skin sweating, heart rate. stuff like that. Blood pressure. And what they found is that when a person failed to recognize his or her voice, nevertheless, their bodies, the sweat, the heartbeat... Most
11: often, the body is going... <laughs>
8: Their bodies seemed to notice their voices, even though their conscious minds missed the voices. The body knew, the conscious mind didn't. Two thoughts in the same person. come
3: on now. I mean, I'll give it to you. That's kind of interesting. Thank you very much. But that is not the same thing as lying.
8: Well, we're just starting here. We're just, uh, this is, uh, now at least grant me this. You can have two different experiences simultaneously.
3: Yes, okay, I grant that you Okay, that so we're just...
8: on our way, we're on our way. <laughs> okay, step two. Harold and Ruben decide to leave the laboratory and go to a bar. Yeah, I believe it was Smokey Joe's. Just to sort of talk things over. Kick back a bit. <laughs> and to deal with your very question, like, so let's really get to the core of what lying to yourself is about. Exactly. So they're in the bar, and they're getting kind of drunk. We were probably pretty drunk. And Ruben proposes, we need to come up with some way to get test subjects to have one thought and instantly have a contradictory thought. Maybe we could do that with embarrassment. Maybe we could embarrass them into having two thoughts at the same time. And uh, yes, and at some point I said, let's ask people questions. Questions so so threatening, so uncomfortable that you don't want to tell the truth about them.
3: What, what questions
8: would those be?
11: Well, I mean, we had to get down and dirty.
8: They got drunker and drunker and drunker, and they came up with a whole bunch of them. Started writing them down. This thought, <laughs> right there in the bar on a napkin. We were curious. So we took their questions off the napkins, so to speak, and we brought them out onto the street.
10: Can I ask you some questions while you're waiting? Yeah, sure.
8: Um. So here's what.
10: Have you ever doubted your sexual adequacy? Oh. No. And yeah.
8: another. Have you ever enjoyed
3: your bowel movements?
8: <laughs> enjoyed my bowel uh, movements? Yeah.
4: <laughs> I think most normal people do.
8: No. Here's another. Have you ever thought of committing suicide in order to get back at somebody? Yikes. No. And another.
0: Huh? Okay. Have, Have you, you ever, ever wanted, wanted to, to rape... rape or
8: be or raped, raped by, by
1: someone. somebody. Come
3: again?
1: No. 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 Absolutely not. No. Oh, no. Oh, no, yeah.
8: Have I what?
3: Dad? <laughs> what kind of question is that? If you answered no to any of those questions, they would say that you're lying to yourself. So they are assuming then that everybody enjoys their bowel movements secretly. Mm-hmm. Everyone secretly has rape that fantasy. That is what they are assuming.
11: Yes, it was a supposition that these things are universal truths, but it was a supposition that seemed to work
8: because that night at the bar, Harold and Rubin stumbled across something. It turns out that how you answer those questions predicts some very surprising things about the kind of person you are, about the course of your whole life. First of all, remember that previous study we talked about with the voices? Yeah. It just so happens that the people who were very bad at the voice test, failed the voice test, Mm -hmm. they were the very same people who did very badly on the embarrassing questionnaire test. They didn't want to admit to stuff.
5: Have you ever wanted to rape or be raped by somebody? Uh, No, not at all.
8: However, when other scientists got a hold of Harold and Rubin's questionnaire, and they used it a lot in lots of situations. It's been given to thousands and thousands of people. They dug deeper into the question of, of what do these people have trouble with truthiness? What happens to to them yeah. in life. You know? And? And it turns out that they do a whole lot better in all kinds of things. Better? Better, better, in all kinds of things.
3: Like what? A whole lot of stuff. Like? Can we now say, by the way, that these people are liars? I'm not quite ready to say that. But let's, right. Okay, fine. For the, let's right. just call them liars. And can you please tell me what the hell you're talking about? What, what sorts of things did they do better at?
8: Well, just to start... Let me introduce you to someone.
10: Okay. Uh, My name is Joanna Starek, and I'm a psychologist.
8: Psychologist and athlete.
3: Yeah,
10: I, I was actually a swimmer. I was a competitive swimmer at Colgate University, and I think one of the questions that I was really interested in is, how can you have two people who have the same physiological capacity and then one person over and over again, would consistently win or outperform the other.
8: Joanna had heard about Harold and Rubin's questionnaire, so she and her research partner, Carolyn Keating, decided to give the embarrassing question questionnaire to the swim team. Yes. Just to see what they'd find.
10: So we gave them that questionnaire at the beginning of the season, and then they trained Trying to qualify for the Eastern Athletic Conference Championship.
8: That's the big race at the end of the year.
10: It's, it's a very objective measure. You either swim fast enough during the season to qualify, or you don't. And
8: when, at the end of the season, Joanna and her research partner Carolyn looked at which swimmers did the best, which ones qualified... We did find a bizarre relationship. The swimmers
10: who said, the one the liars, who said no... To all these questions... Do you enjoy your bowel movements? No. Have you ever thought about killing yourself? No. Have you ever thought about raping someone? No. Consistently... They were the winners.
8: The fastest and most successful swimmers were the ones who, on the questionnaire, according to Harold and Rubin, lied to themselves.
10: Yes. I do think a little bit of deception is not necessarily a bad thing.
8: It might even be a crucial thing. And Just for example, I want you to listen to these Olympic track athletes. We got these interview clips from the sound artist, Ben Rubin. And listen to how these athletes describe the process of getting ready to race. We
11: believe we're invincible. Because if we go in there with any other thought, there's no chance of us accomplishing
0: our goal. Well, of course, I always win in my thoughts. <laughs> it's
11: like, I have the ability to catch this person.
0: It's going to happen. Take your head off. Leave your head at home. Leave your brain at home today. When I step on the runway, I just relax myself you are the best. And I go.
8: And more than sports, denying certain facts about the real world around you, according to any number of new studies, produces people who turns out are better at business and better at working with teams. And now here's the real
11: kicker. They turn out to be happier people. That questionnaire served a couple of purposes. One of the things that it taught us is that The people who were happiest were the ones who were lying to themselves more. The
10: people who are the most realistic, that actually see the world exactly as it is, tend to be slightly more depressed than others. Time
8: and time again, researchers have found that depressed people lie
11: less. They see all the pain in the world, how horrible people are with each other, and they tell you everything about themselves, what their weaknesses are, what terrible things they've done to other people. And the problem is they're right. And so maybe it's the way we help people is to help them be wrong. It might
8: just be that hiding ideas that we know to be true, hiding those ideas from ourselves
11: is what we need to get by. We're so vulnerable to being hurt that we're given the capacity to distort as a gift.
3: Well, that's it for us. If you want any more information on anything you heard this hour, check our website, radiolab.org. I'm Robert Krelowicz. I'm Jad Abumrad. And this is Radiolab. Thanks for listening. You have
9: two new messages.
3: Radiolab is produced by Jad Abumrad with Lulu Miller,
5: Rob Christensen, Ellen Horn, Justin Paul, and Soren Wheeler. Production support by Amber Seeley, Laska Kebel, Jed Terrez, Sarah Pellegrini, Ariel Lasky, Heather Radke, Michael Orion McManus, and Sally Hership. Special thanks to me, Jude Hoffner,
9: Jane Dumestra, and Scott Robinson. Radio Lab is produced by WNYC, New York Public Radio, and distributed by NPR, National Public Radio. Bye.
3: Radio Lab is supported
5: by the John Templeton Foundation, funding research and catalyzing conversations that inspire people with awe and wonder. Learn about the researchers making the latest discoveries in the science of well-being, complexity, forgiveness, and free will at templeton.org slash podcast.